Can you imagine what it feels like to be a Canadian soccer player as Peter Vanagas blows the whistle? It's official. Canada, 2000 World Cup champions. How does that sound? You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. Yes, it's episode 42 of the Northern Football Podcast. I'm Peter Galindo with Thomas Neff as usual. As the holidays approach, yet the content stops for no one, compa. Yeah, that's right. It's always busy in Canadian soccer. We have so much coming up in this episode. A really great interview with Pamadou Ka on winning the CPL title and so much more. Uh, Canadians abroad updates. They're back. Davies and David making history, the first two Canadian men in the Champions League knockout. Mm-hmm. A news and notes section, which includes a Canadian women's league happening. And of course, thank you to everyone for their continuous support. We have some really interesting things to close out the year uh, with one or two more episodes. And uh, please uh, continue to give us ratings on Apple as we hope to finish the year with uh, 75 ratings. And last but not least, happy birthday, Peter. Uh, oh, this yes. coming Wednesday, obviously, <laughs> uh, celebrating, uh, you know, flying out to Vancouver, but uh, I'm sure uh, it's going to be a good one for you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Just a reminder that the Northern Football Podcast is partnered with Northern Tribune. Check them out at northerntribune.ca for all your Canadian soccer news and analysis, and follow them on Twitter at North Tribune. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If that platform is Apple, then leave us a rating and review when you have the time, as Thomas touched on there. And quick programming note, Peter cannot be here with us because of a family event. But to kick off the show, we have Pacific FC head coach Pamadou Ka joining us fresh off his side, winning the North Star Shield. Pa, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm great. How about yourself? You know, I, I have to ask you, did you watch uh, your former team, Portland Timbers, you know, playing the MLS Cup final? I haven't watched the game yet, but I, but I saw that they lost on uh, penalties, which is always a lottery. So it's a shame, but I have fond memories from Portland, and you hope there's a team that can host the trophy in their home, home ground and win. It's absolutely them with the, with, with the Timbers army behind them. It is fantastic. So... It's unfortunate that they couldn't do it, but I'm afraid that maybe next year they will come and win it. Now, has it sunk in yet uh, that you are champions? Obviously, you posted a, a viral video that uh, on Friday people people loved it. Yeah. I've uh, right after the signal, uh, right after the messages, where I kind of look up and and have a moment for myself, and um, I think it's natural because when you put in a lot of hard work, you you don't always get to see it right now. But I think. Um, like for me, it's more about the players and the staff and the club and uh, and the island, you know, to be able to celebrate something. So for me, it, I will enjoy that moment where maybe when I'm when I'm when my phone is shut off, you know, then you can take a moment. For right now, we're still busy about you know building the squad for next year, but I will definitely have a moment for myself when the time is right. Now this is your first trophy as a as a coach, um, and yeah. we have some more similar question from a listener. Uh, what got you into coaching? What what made you pursue coaching out of all the alternatives that an uh, ex-professional has? I mean, for me, it was uh, to give back uh, to the game that that I have so much respect for because the game gives me a lot. It gave me money. It gave me chance to play. It gave me chance to see different cultures, meet different people. And ultimately, that's also what you want for, for another player to, to be able to reach to reach the highest level, uh, competitive level that they can reach through the sports, but also 
create a great bond and um, and friends amongst the journey. So and also for me was to uh, knowing that um, there's not many minorities that are head coaches. You know, it's is can I can I can I go and break the barriers and make sure that we also be looked at differently in leadership positions and not only as players. When Pacific FC reached out to you, what what enticed you into the project? What what attracted you uh, in those conversations with Ralph Fran and Josh Simpson? Well, the youth development, seeing players that I also knew, but was not been given a proper chance, was not looked at the way that I knew that they're capable of uh, being as human beings and as players, you know, and you know, and building a nice project here on Vancouver Island because knowing the history of football in Canada, like I, I always refer to it, is is the the people that got the Canada into the '86 World Cup were from the island yearly around you can play football 12 months you can play football so that gives us a place where we can develop young players and we are on an island right we we actually separated from the mainland right so that gives us a a, a great opportunity so that to have the opportunity to to train these um these players that i had connection with but also you know um make sure that there's this island is being recognized as as a football hub and not only the East Coast that people look at, but there's also a lot of talents in the West Coast as well. Well, you know, to follow up in that question, you mentioned BC, Victoria, specifically the island. Right. Have you gotten to meet or interact with any of these players that went to the World Cup from the island? Oh, yeah. Uh, they come to our sessions. We see them every day. George Bakers, in the beginning of the season, we had them speak to the boys. They, all, they always show up. So for us, that's what I say. It's one club. Uh, one island, one community. So we are a big family. So for us, the boys come out, you know, we've seen them, Bruce Wilson, who's about to retire right now. You know, these these are people that paved the pathway for the island. And me coming in is just to continue the tradition of the island. Now, your team has played some of the best football in the CPL, high-paced, yeah. high-pressure. Would you say that you were giving, you, have, you had the players uh, at your disposal to fit into that system? I always say this way, right? Forge had Sigma. Bobby knew all of these players before before everybody was in 2019. They were they already worked with him. So was Tommy with the foothills, right? So for us, the brand of football that we wanted to play, we had to go and recruit players that fit into the way we wanted to play, but also saw that this is an opportunity for them to grow professionally and be around a organization that, that will help them grow. So when you have that, and you have the buy-in from the players and the belief of what we try to achieve here. It makes it easier as a head coach. You ha- you guys had uh, two weeks off. Uh, you lost Bustos. You lost Diaz. How do you prepare your team when you have that much time off? I mean, I know people are saying it. Yeah, you had two weeks off. But which one is worst? For me, we are the rightful winners because throughout the season, we proved that we were the best team. And if you see what, that, what every single time we were faced with adversity of losing players, we showed up. So people cannot look for excuses for other teams. You understand what I mean? Or saying, oh, they're, or they travel. Or they're, that's not my problem. My problem is that you play the game to win. And that's what we did. So how you prepare for the game doesn't matter to me. We were given two weeks. Okay. We maximized our two weeks that we were given. We didn't plan for it. If you, if you, if you understand what I mean. We were given two weeks to prepare for it. And we were playing in our away game. And people were always saying, you know, they never won there. But we went and we bring back home the trophy. 
So who's going to complain about that? Are people going to speak about the two weeks that we got? Who cares about the two weeks? We won. But we did it not because in one game, we did it because of how we performed throughout the whole season. Right? We, in, in some of the biggest games, we didn't play with our best players. In the final, we lost Diaz. Bustos was not even starting. They had their best team, minus Crutzen. In the semifinal, McNaughton, we lost. They had their best players on. So I think credit should be given more to how our players stood up Pershing adversity during this season, time after time. That's why we're the rightful champions, because we also played the best brand of football. On, on that subject, though, you know, in that final, you guys didn't have that many chances, uh, but you only needed one to go in, you know, and, and you put it away and, and you won. What was the game plan going in, in terms of the finishing? You know, you guys are actually very dangerous on the counterattack as well. Listen, sometimes you got to mix up how you play in football. For the whole season, people thought we can only play one way. For me, that's, that just shows me that people doesn't actually look at us differently. We knew what we were capable of. We knew what we had in when we had to switch it off when we was needed. So we didn't, we didn't always play our whole card in during the season. The season was a 28 games. Playoffs is a different beast. I've been into playoffs before. I know what playoffs is like. I enjoy playoffs because I only need one game. That's what I said. It's only one game. And in that one game, I'll bet against anybody. And that's why also I love playing away in playoffs games. Because guess what? To go into somebody's house and win there means even much more. Because we went to Calgary, we won. We went to Forge, we won. So that shows the growth of our team, that shows the adversity of our team, that shows what kind of team we are. That when in the big games, we show up. And that's what these boys have been doing the whole year. That's why they're also the rightful champion. Yeah, and, and you guys, you know, proved everyone wrong. Kind of, you know, playing back to your playing days, you know, you had a good relationship with, uh, with Kekura Mane. Yeah. I could tell that you, you like working with young players, and, and this team's mm -hmm. no exception. Very young yeah. and, and Canadian as well. That final, only those Santos played it, the only foreign player. Yeah. Um, yeah. Guys like Karen Kamel, Kadeem Chung, Alessandro Hajabapur. What have you yeah. made of, of their development uh, in the two seasons that you've been here? They've grown a lot. Like, like I said, I had the pleasure of seeing them grow in the Whitecaps Academy. And to see them become champion, it's a wonderful feeling. Also on a human level, because that's the, that's the kind of relationship we have. Seeing a, a Boldissimo become a champion, a Kaden Chung champion, Theron Campbell champion, Ale, Alessandro Hojapo champion scoring the goal. Players that people have passed on thinking they didn't have the quality. They did have the quality, but they were not given proper chances. Taron Campbell suits to play in MLS. He could easily play for the Whitecaps. And so can Kaden Chong as a right back. But when you are never given a proper look at or people trust your quality, but you've been looked pass upon without giving the right advice for why. Because all of these young players, they were the same players that beat the Whitecaps, by the way. Huh? If you understand what I mean. So how come they can be good enough? Well, because for me, it's all in the coaching. These people were not properly coached when they were young. They were not given the right tools to succeed. And then it's easy to blame the players. But they were the same players now that I saw at the age of 16. But they've taken the growth of understanding that, all right, I need to be the best to be able to make a move or become champion. And they're taking that into stride and getting challenged. Because that's what I did. I challenged them. And they challenged me. And the respect were always there. So when you have that openness and that uh, transparency, 
you you ultimately going to succeed because that is my job as a coach to take them places that they didn't believe that they can go into that's what we did as a coaching staff as well we just didn't allow them to lie on their talents we helped them grow and that's what makes me proud because now they're champions nobody can ever take that away they're champions for life and this is for me is the most incredible feeling to see them have that so they rewrite their own history but yeah. you know a week ago when you won you you mentioned that white caps win and and it's it's completely true what you're saying it's a full circle moment a lot of these guys were told that they weren't good enough uh, yes. They weren't given first team contracts, a lot of them, uh, yes. and they were let go when when they had first team contracts, only playing, you know, two three games, and and yeah. sometimes you know coming off the bench for five ten minutes, and then not really giving a proper look. But but that yeah. win against the Whitecaps was a full circle moment for a lot of these players, and and you were asked about this in the press conference, but but I completely understand why you didn't want to answer mm -hmm. it uh, then because you yeah. just won a final. It was about the game, but dating yeah, back to that win. Game, but Thinking Absolutely. back to the win, it is, it is, it is. But that's what I say. When people tell you that you're not good enough, and you, and and for me, that's why I love the game. People say you're not good enough, but you can go somewhere and succeed, and that's what they've done. Now they now they now they say they were not good enough, but they got chance in their own country to become champion in their own country. They're champions, guys that people would thought was not good enough to make maybe make a professional career out of themselves. They're champion at the age of 21. 22, 23, in a league provided for them. That's why it was important to have a Canadian Premier League, domestic league where young players can showcase their quality, where young players can be the best. That's why the CPL is important for many of these young players and to, to for their growth and for their development. You take these four players, at the age of 16, Caden for me was already good enough to be in the first team. Whitecaps. Because his quality is his quality. He's, he has a very, he has a great quality. And when you look at him, you think, oh, he's one of the best right backs in the league. Terran, for two seasons, top strikers, scored over 10 goals. Alejandro, Hojapur, one of the best young midfielders. Boldissimo, unfortunately, got injured this year, but at healthy, one of the best top uh, defensive midfielders. When you look at a young player in North America, it's not the same as a young player in Europe. Right, because a young American player, sometimes you have to go through college. And by the time that you're 23, 24, 25, is when you become professional. So that's why I always say it's not about the players. It's the people guiding and helping these players, the coaches. Are you doing also enough job to help them and guide them? Because every player's uh, growth is different. Some are early bloomers, some are late bloomers. Yes or no question. Was that win against Vancouver the most important? In terms of belief, in terms of uh, what it meant for these guys, in terms of, in terms of for club, but also in terms of first ever professional games between two professional clubs in BC, yes, because at the time it was the most important game the club ever played, and your first ever game sometimes is always the most important one. But for the belief of the players that were also with White Caps at that moment. That was the most important game in in the club history, because I always knew and I, and and I told this to the guys in the bubble. It's like, don't worry. When it's the most important game, is when you're gonna beat Forge, right? But at that moment for the for the squad, that was the most important game. Moving on to other matters, in the final moments after the game finished, you had an embrace yes. with Jamar Dixon. You know, iconic photos taken, uh, you yeah. and him hugging. 
How important yeah. has he been, the captain of the team, um, you know, um, so far massive. this year? Massive. Uh, Gemma has been huge. He's taken over Marcel and, you know, we always talk. He always comes to me what the players need, what the team needs. So he's always a constant uh, communication and and for him to be the captain but also be the voice in the locker room and help these young guys when it's needed is massive, right? For me, he took control of the locker room together with the leadership group with Lucas McNaughton, um, Josh Hurd, Callum Irvin, Marco Bustov, Manu Apricio. So these these figures are important and to see them and to see him especially uh, lift that trophy. I mean, I couldn't more be more proud of, uh, you know, as a black man, becoming the first black coach, but also having the first black captain to lift a trophy. It's massive, you know, and it's massive for for people of minority to be able to see that and strive to want to achieve that as a door. Because for us, it's about opening the doors for the next coming generations to come so that they can see what somebody like Jamal have achieved as a captain, as a respected leader in a locker room. It's huge, right? It's huge for everybody, but also for him to lift the trophy in his own country. That is that is huge. So for me, it's been so that's what everything came down to the past two years, amount of time that we spent together talking about the things that we can achieve and seeing it uh, manifest itself. That's when it came down to. That was the beauty of it. You know, life is is a journey, and you yourself, you're more than forty years old. What have you learned this year specifically about yourself, about the team, about you know living in Victoria, maybe playing games finally at home? I mean, like I say, it's, these past two years, I think, has been the toughest past two years in human mankind, in the stuff that, because uh, you cannot go anywhere, you couldn't see anywhere, uh, you're dealing with a virus that nobody knows how it attracts you, what it gives you. So, I mean, not only for football, but for human beings, it's been very tough. So to be able to play the game that we all love, you know, because last year, imagine the game was taken away from you, something, some of some... These guys, they never understood what it is because they always thought they could play. But last year, they was taken away. You could see the desire, the hunger to be able to play the game of football again. So so to be champions and be able to to win, but also able to play in front of your fans, be able to, to you know, for them to come and people that can also relieve football again and be happy, it's massive. And for me, what I've learned is, like I always say, that's who I am. I always enjoy the little moments, and for me, it's 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 always about enjoying the little moments. And these these were the little moments because to see them, all the hard work that that they put through this year to be able to lift the trophy, is fantastic. Right? These are moments that you live for, and these moments that are always going to carry them for the rest of their life. And for me, I'm just happy that I could play a little part in their in their life, as well as uh, help them, you know, help them win. Because of this title that Pacific has won, you guys have qualified to CONCACAF League. You've yeah. achieved domestic success. What's yeah. going to be like for you, or what are you most looking forward to, you know, to taking this team, you know, on the international stage throughout the region, Central America, the Caribbean? Growth. It's all about the growth. That is the part where you play football, you know. Some of them, they're sitting watching Champions League, you know, and, and now they finally get to experience it. I, I was fortunate enough to to experience it with Portland Timbers and with Vancouver Whitecaps. So for them to be able to witness it, but also play a part in it and be the second Canadian team to do so, is huge, right? And then always when you go in for us, it's the same. Like, we we want to win it. 
right? And you're always looking to measure yourself uh, against yourself, right? You in it, how far can you go? And we always, we always believe that we can win. So our goal is to go into the tournament believing that we can win. You know, a lot is is said and and made of these tough environments in Concacaf. And correct me if I'm wrong. I believe my memory tells me that when the Whitecaps won the Canadian Championship in 2015, they also had their own, you know, playing around the region. Were you part of that team? And when you went yeah. to travel in these tough environments, and yeah. when you play in these tough environments, you know, what will you be telling your your players, guys? Listen, the humidity, enjoy. the pitches, and everything yeah, like that. Enjoy enjoy you gotta enjoy you gotta embrace every every challenge of course is embracing every challenge my last professional game truly professional game was played in uh Konkakov against the goalkeeper coach of uh halifax i played against him he was playing for central in trinidad i mean you, you're gonna face the environment which is great that's why that's why it's wonderful to go in and play in this environment because you're going to be in an environment that is not provided for you in Canada, right? And you're going to see difference, right? You're going to see life's perspective as well. It's not only about the playing the game. You, you, like, you're going to go in certain areas and you see how people are living, how they don't have much, you know, all of these things. That makes you also humble, but also give you the sense of gratitude. Because not everybody has what you have. So me seeing that, being part of that, growing through that as well, because I'm from Africa, I grew up, I didn't grow with everything I was handed to me. Like most of, uh, most of, because in Canada is a great country, right? Canada is a beautiful country. You don't have to suffer much, do you? No, right? But to go in these regions, you know, it's an eye opener, which will be fantastic for the growth of our young players to see and cherish it and be grateful. Excellent. I will get to five listener questions and before wrapping up the show with final three. From Van Islander, he wants to know, Pa, who is the Pacific FC player who has the highest ceiling? Ah, that is a tough one because it's it's you can always say yeah, this and this player have this and this, but then it pan out differently. So I think I think for me it's the daily growth of all players and and all of them been growing massively, right? Just to single out one player, it's 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 tough because it's football, right? Everything can happen. So, but. If I, if let's say you take a Abdul Samake, who this year for, for, for me and everybody will tell you that he is the most improved player, right? Uh, Dada Luke also the same uh, beginning of the season to where he is now. He's taking massive steps. A high ceiling is a high ceiling of, for me, I never tell players you just, every player in our squad, the sky is the limit. And, but that comes down to the commitment and hard work that they put themselves into to become the best. When you want to become the best is when you see what is your silliness. Stefan Jordan wants to ask you about, um, I presume it's expansion. Are there enough of these clubs popping up? Well, I think, I think given, given, given the way the league is played, but, and I think uh, definitely in the future that you will see places that, that want to have uh, teams, which is very important. If you, look at, if you look at MLS back in 96, it was 10 teams. And now you look at MLS... It's what, 27, 28 teams. Is the landscape in Canada so big that you can have 28 teams? No, but is the landscape in a big that you can have up to 12 to 16 teams? I believe so, right? And that is what is going to be needed as well, you know, to keep driving the league. But for it to have eight clubs now, it's it's two more expansion teams coming in, in Saskatoon and one in, one in Vancouver mainland. 
it would be great. And now you have League One BC coming up. So I think I think there will be people are finally understanding that they have to grow the the league, the domestic league. And and I do believe that there will be other places with uh, you know with the right uh, ownerships that will want to get into this. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, this transitioned us nicely because the same question, the next question was, um, will there be any involvement with uh, BC League One? Nah, for us, like the League uh, League One BC is massive, massive step for for us. It's very important, you know, because everything is also we can go watch these players, you know, we can help uh, open up doors uh, for the professional environment, like they did, like they do in Ontario in Quebec. So. You know, for us, it's about that. It's about seeing players uh, in different uh, scenarios, right? And if, if we feel like one player or a couple of players are good enough to make our squad, we will open those doors. Excellent, excellent. I'm sure a lot of people listening will want to hear more about that because obviously it is a new league and, and we still haven't played a yeah, match it yet. Is, it is a new league. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know fully the format of it and everything. So, but... Uh, what I do know is that I endorse it because it's huge. It's huge because you can have young players from 15, 16 playing, mm, playing proper football, which is needed, you know, because there's a huge gap when players play in the academy and go straight in into professional uh, clubs because that's also a huge gap. So if that can bridge the gap there, that would be fantastic. Duncan Sports is asking, which player do you expect to be poached uh, to MLS or an EuroLeague? The beauty about this sport is when you are a champion is when people want you the most because it's a result-oriented business. And there's two things that I always tell my players that people look for, result and winners. So if you prove that you are a winner, you, you're always going to be a high commodity. For us, we, we will not stand in our way for players that, that get to move because that showcase that we also are doing the right thing by bringing young players, develop them and move them uh, forward. And that's, what, and that's what this game is about. So for us, you know, becoming a champion, those is always going to open. And if it's the right move for the player and club, we'll always help them. Ahmed is asking, what's the next step? Will you keep the same squad or make significant changes to, to the roster or club? No, I mean, you know, sometimes, sometimes people think you need to make a lot of changes. You don't, because for us, it's about the continuity. You know the continuity and the and and the culture that we build. Uh, you build a club full of winners. Do we expect some players to leave? Yes. Do we expect some players to leave? Yes, because then it's it's some of them might need playing time. Some of them might need to move on because time is right for them to move on, right? And then it's about bringing the right pieces again uh, that will that will that will meet our culture. That will that understand who we are and what we're looking for in players. That when they come in, they know. All right, they come into a team. That is a winning team. Last listener question here, Pa. YV is asking, how far can Pacific FC go and how long do you think it is until a CPL team makes it or wins a CONCACAF Champions League title? Nah, it's, 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 we as a club, you're always looking at the growth, right? You're looking at how, how can you keep growing, right? And you keep growing with experience, right? Um, for us, winning a title is a, it's a nice experience gonna go into CONCACAF League, it's again, it's again an opportunity for growth and experience, right? So these things will shape you up um, next year. It's a new season. You are gonna be the champion for one year. And after that, either you defend it or you lose it to somebody else. 
And obviously, we want to defend our championship. Somebody is always going to go look after the uh, after the crown. So we want to keep staying as hunters. We don't we not we don't want to be hunted. We want to be the hunters still. Only way to remain as hunters is to keep challenging yourself. It's not the external that need to challenge you. You have to challenge yourself to see how much you can keep going. That's going to be the biggest thing for us. And regarding winning Concacaf Champions League, we're looking at the honestly we're looking at a massive, massive uh, step because where we are as a league, we're just three years old. We we are not on one game off. Yes, we can compete with everybody, but can we compete with teams like uh, Tigres, Club America, uh, Monterrey? No. Can we compete with teams in MLS? No, because of the budget and, and the status are different. But in a one game, you always got a chance. But during to do it five, six, seven games, no, no chance. And if people think that, nah, then, then we're not being realistic. We have to be realistic enough to understand. And also it showcases a little bit, but you also seeing the gaps is get, getting minimalized because Toronto had to play their best team to beat us. Montreal was taken to a penalty shootout, right? So that still showed the growth of, of where our league is. But to able to compete in CONCACAF Champions League with our budget, with our uh, with, with with that, no, we're not near there yet. Absolutely not. In one game, anything can happen. We've seen it worldwide. In one game, yes. In one game, yes. But uh, but also we gotta be realistic. If you have a budget of maybe uh, two million and you are two point five, but then you gotta uh, fight against a budget of forty million, that's a little bit too much. <laughs> but, but never say like never, different. never say never. But but that's what you're dealing with. So it's also important for people to to understand that that it's not because the league don't want to compete or the owners don't want to put money, but that's where they are. We, the, the league is three years old, and this is its for me its second year. Before that, the league has only played maybe one season, which was the inaugural season. Last year was hit with pandemic. And this year, pandemic was still on. So next year will be a great year, maybe where you start the season in your own environment, in, like in your home markets, and it's a normal season. right? And then after you can start thinking, okay, where is this uh, league? Where, where is the league going to be maybe in a year or two? Knowing that uh, the World Cup is coming in five years, 2026, the growth of the league, right? That's how you also measure the growth of the league. Well, I want to thank all the listeners who submitted questions. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, last call before your Paul, before we let you go. Um, yeah. Alfonso Davies sees you as, as a mentor from your times in the Whitecaps. When you see yeah. him now succeeding, how does it make you feel considering you played a, a role Proud. in his success? Proud. I'm obviously proud because just to see, because um, he's somebody that uh, we all know was yeah, was talented, and he could have easily been some a player that went to the cracks of of the Canadian uh, youth system, if you understand what I mean. And there's plenty of those, so that's why I say uh, uh, the way I look at it. When you look at the CPL, it's the best thing that could happen to young players in Canada because. All of them eventually dreaming about being becoming the next Afonso Davis, the next Jonathan David. If Carl uh, Robinson didn't give him the chance to become a player, nobody would know Afonso Davis. A lot of people are taking credit for all of that. Oh, yeah, we did this for him. But he knows who actually cared for him. He knows actually who wanted to help him. 
And also credit has to go to Carl Robinson because he allowed him to play first team football. People were saying he was not ready for it at the time. But now the same people are saying, oh, yeah, yeah, he, because of me like this, right? Me, guy was talented, but I, he needed guidance on areas to understand what is. And that's where me, for me, that's what I wanted to provide for him to make him understand that he has something that he can go out and become also a role model for our people, which is very important to me. Because in my sense, I was fortunate enough to be the first black man to play for the Norwegian national team. So you carry weight and the way that he's handling it is fantastic. The way he's been a, a role model for, for, for refugee camps, the way that he's been role model for the next generation of young ethnic players, minorities in Canada is massive. And he's taking it with a smile. And the most thing that I'm most proud of Fonzie is he remains the same. He's not changed, which he could easily have been doing because it's easy. He's playing for Bayern Munich. Everybody want piece of him, everything. But he's humble. humble. And those were the things that we talked about always. Remain humble, respect the game, right? Remain humble, respect the game. Everything's going to be thrown at you, but just filter it. Filter what you will, filter the things that you know they will always be there for you. And the, and the other things that is not, don't even care about it. You know, I'm amazed and I'm proud, you know. It's, 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 it's every time I see him put his big old smile and just run on the pitch and play football, that makes me happy. And then you look at it, he played with some of these players that, that, I, that, are, that are in my squad, right? So that just shows you the difference of how growth of players can be looked at differently, right? So for me, I'm, I'm truly proud of Fonzie, the way that he's handling himself and also what he's doing for Canada national team as well. You're a family man, speaking to everyone in Victoria. Your daughters are at every game. You yeah. lived in many countries. Yeah. Norway, your your native Norway, Canada, the US, Holland. What what have you made of, of, of life in Canada? I know you spent a couple of years in in Vancouver, then you went over to Cincinnati and then you came back here. Um what, what would you say is like your time in Canada compared to other countries? Like what, what makes it different and special? No, my daughters are born here. Uh, Canada is similar to Norway. Very expensive, but great country to live in. But also a country that always look at itself as an underdog, right? And also that look at themselves. Also when it comes to sports, I think Canada can be more proud. But also Canada can allow people to be different because everybody is different. It's the same thing in Norway. It's like everybody got to be the same. No, it doesn't work like that. We're not born the same. We're born to be different. We're born to look at other people different. We're born to make a difference. And, about, and if you're going to make a difference, you have to make the difference being you. You can't make a difference being somebody else. They should allow that. But also they should take pride in what has happened sometimes. For Canada to become Olympic uh, gold medalist, celebrate that. That whole country should, what Canada is doing sports wine in football should be celebrated. But also on the justice side with the society, embrace what has happened. Embrace about the indigenous people talk about it, let's rewrite history, right? Those things matter as well. Let's rewrite history on the social front as well, because that will also create a lot of other changes in our society. You know, that's for me very important as well. And my daughters are, are born Canadian, so I got to teach them Canadian history. And Canadian history for me start with the indigenous people, because they were the first one in this country. So they got to understand that as well. And that's how you change society and culture as well. 
right? And I've been fortunate to live in all different places. So for me, I always integrate myself into those cultures to understand it and to know it. Because that's the only way also I can provide changes if I'm in a leadership position. You played in Qatar as a footballer. Now that's where yeah. the next World Cup will be for yeah. someone like myself or anybody that's going to be going to mm -hmm. Qatar World Cup uh, in a country. year's time. What, what's that country like? Beautiful country, uh, an open country. People look at it differently. My wife, I remember the first time that uh, that we were there, um, she was a little bit sick, so we went to the firm, uh, to the pharmacy. And while I was in looking for looking for the medicine she needed, she went outside to throw up. A car stopped. A man with his wife stopped, brought water to my wife and tissue. If that was happening in Canada or elsewhere or somewhere, people are just going to walk off. Nobody's going to stop. So that shows you. And once you are in their country, like they embrace you, right? My wife was walking normal. She didn't need to wear no hijab. She didn't need to do not, none of that. So they treat you for us who you are. So that's also very important for people to understand. Yes, in a country, there's always good, there's always bad. Same with Canada. So we can speak about all of that. But my experience in that country was fantastic. The experience that my wife had was fantastic. Because in one country that she loves, she's like, I want to go back to Qatar. And in World Cup, going to be great. People going to enjoy the World Cup because it's going to be totally different. Everybody's going to speak about everything that is happening about human rights and all of this. But everywhere around the world, everybody struggles with human rights. And, and I'm guessing you're going to go to the World Cup in years time? Hopefully. Right now, we're just celebrating on the Vancouver Island, winning a championship. Hopefully, when we win the second one, that will be the best thing. Go and celebrate. Pa, to finish off with this, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you this. You've said in the past, everything is a stepping stone. And yeah. ESPN put out a report that you went deep in the FC Dallas interview process. Ultimately, they decided to go yeah. a different direction. Um, what is your dream, um, you know, as a coach? And what does that say about, um, you know, the, the quality of the league? How, you know, finally other foreign clubs are taking interest? Me, I'm a coach that has an inspiration, you know, to, 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 to train higher up, you know, be higher up. For me, the next step is obviously MLS. And for that is either you are a head coach or assistant because we know MLS is closed league. So for me, I've, I have no problem. I've played in the league, so people know who I am. Um, I've been assistant in the league, so all of that. And this is a stepping stone for me to keep to continue my growth coming into Canada, winning. So everything is, is just step by step, taking my time and not rushed in. If the right opportunity comes in, you're always going to consider it because that's what I tell my players. I said this, whoever is coming for you, consider it. Does it make sense for you and you feel happy with it? Take it. I'm no different. I, I'm no different. So for me, I look at it, everything as a stepping stone. Does it make sense for myself and my family? And if it's, and if my, and if it's, and if it's yes, then I'll consider it. But I'm not going to consider everything just because for the to consider. I am happy where I am. I'm, we as a club, we are, we are, we, are, we we have our foundation in place. We want to keep developing, helping young players. That that's it. It's, that's why I say for me, it have to make sense because um, the ownership that is here is a fantastic ownership. They allow me to coach. They they they, they allow us with the coaching staff and players. We like the family, both, you know, the whole organization. And you don't always get it. 
because we all know that football is a cutthroat business. It's about the results and everything, which I'm totally fine with. But I think the way that we build this club here, anybody that put their foot in here understand, right? Understand and can feel the unity amongst the team and and the staff to and the togetherness, and that's that's very unique. So everything's got to make sense, and and I hope that people can keep looking at the league and say, you know what? Here, there's a league that we can not only take players but also take uh, coaches. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was uh, much more than just a football interview. This was uh, also yeah. touched on many things, talked about life, the human aspect. Uh, so I want to thank you is, for, for your football time. Football is life, man. You know that football is life, just like Ted Lasso says, the guy, football is life. Ted Lasso. That's what the game is, you know? That's what the game is. We, we're all here because of the game. We, 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 me and you are sitting here. You have an African Norwegian that was born mm-hmm. in Gambia. Right, we're sitting here talking about the football, which I was is born in Chile. Our journey. So you see, you're born in Chile, now you're living in Canada, but we're here because of the ball. It brings unity, man. So let's embrace it. That's how we continue to make change. It's a full circle moment for myself, too, because when I started covering this league, you know, I remember, I'm not sure if you remember, Pa, but I'm the one that uh, reported uh, your, your appointment in, uh, in Pacific. <laughs> it was you, yeah. Huh? That was me, yeah. And then two weeks later, you were announced as head coach. So to be interviewing you, you know, sitting with you and and, and chatting with you about so many things is, is a full circle for, for my journalism career as well. Anywhere, anywhere I can help, man. That's what we do. We help each awesome. other. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pa. Take care and, and you, best of luck. Enjoy the offseason. I hope you have uh, uh, some time off. No, I'll definitely take some time off. I told my wife that I will, for the first time in my life, I will shut off my phone for a week. Perfect, perfect. Once again, thank you to Pamadouka for speaking with us and to Thomas for taking over the host mic. Uh, We will have Harry Payton on next week, so stay tuned for that one. As we switch gears to the national team, this week's poll was who would be Canadian men's national team player of the year. The final results are in. After 307 votes, Jonathan David got 54% of your votes. Afonso Davies calculated in at 24%, while Kyle Aaron got 21%. One vote in the comments for other, which was uh, at my teams wear red, choosing Stefan Ostakio. Not a bad choice there for a writing candidate. Um, now, the reason we bring this up is uh, the player of the year vote is coming up here. Canada Soccer gives media a chance to cast their vote for player of the year for both the men and the women, but focusing specifically on the men here, Thomas, we both submitted our ballots recently. Who were your three candidates and why? Yeah, so my three candidates, and first of all, thank you to Canada Soccer for every year giving media the opportunity to have a vote, as well as players, uh, coaches, and executives. So my three votes were Kyle Laren, Jonathan David, second, and third, Alfonso Davies. It's so, so difficult. Um, I thought about including Tejan Buchanan just because he was including the be- MLS best 11. Yep. And Stefano Stacchio, like, that's a great shout. Best player at like, the Gold Cup. But for me, what stands is the Ocho and club game. You know, yes, um, I think you have to give it to Laren, in my opinion, because, yes, he's playing at Turkey, a significantly less league than Jonathan David in France. But at the same time, what he's done this year with the national team tying Dwayne De Rosario's record is, is amazing. And I think you kind of have to prioritize country over club in this scenario uh, under my criteria, because obviously 
it is Canada Soccer Player of the Year, uh, and obviously, I think the the, the country, the, the shirt, I think, has a, a bigger weight, and and the club still matters, 100% it does. So that's why Jonathan David, impeccable season, uh, top scorer in Liga, and I just feel like you just couldn't leave out Alfonso Davies. I mean, he has been irregular, but again, that, that match against Panama, which for me was a turning point uh, in the Ocho for us, and you have to include, you know, just he continues to, you know, be that good in Germany for Bayern. And that's why he was nominated along with uh, Laren for uh, the Lou Marsh, but we'll get on that later. So that's why those three were my, my, my picks. Well, here's the thing. Before I dive into who I chose, this was by far, and I voted in, I think, three or four of these over the years. This was by far and away the toughest decision out of the last four years I have voted. Because there were so many players who did well, as you said, Thomas, not just for country, but also for club at the same time. And And worthy nominees, too. Exactly. And all of them were very, very deserving. And you could really start to really pick minute details to split them apart. But at the end of the day, any three of these players getting in are more than deserving. Um, I went slightly more controversial than you by not even including Alfonso Davies in my top three, as crazy as that sounds. And the reason I didn't do that is, I almost feel like as someone who has been watching him for the last five years, I now almost take him for granted. And you almost forget just how good and how dominant of a player he can be on his day. But the reason I didn't put him in the top three is because, yes, he did win the title with with Bayern this year, which they have now for the last pretty much decade in a row. Um, and yeah, he was, he was solid enough, but he wasn't, you know, otherworldly like he was during his breakout 2019-20 season. This year so far, he has done remarkably better, especially in the final third, which we're going to discuss in a bit. But the reason I didn't put him in the top three is primarily due to the fact that he missed the Gold Cup. That's not his fault. He was hurt. And I feel like there have been times in the Ocho where... He's had some very, very good games. I mean, Panama stands out, of course. He had his moments against the U.S., but then there have been games where he's kind of been a non-factor. That's not to say he's been a net negative, um, but when you look at, for example, those November games, he didn't have too much of an impact on the proceedings. So that's why I don't put him in the top three, but I did put Tejon Buchanan third because he was by far and away the breakout player of the year for the men's national team, starting with that Olympic qualifying tournament, translating into his MLS season with the Supporters' Shield winning New England Revolution, where he was a transformative player for them, pretty much as complete as you can get, gets his move to Club Bruges, bosses the Gold Cup, scores that massive goal against Mexico, ultimately in a loss, but a game that probably really buoyed Canada to have these performances they're having now. And he's been a difference maker in qualifying as well. So all that He put made together, himself a lock for that team and no one expected it. No, exactly. And, and that's why I put him in my top three. Now, I can listen to the, to the debate to put Davies over him. That's more than fine. But I feel like he does deserve at least some sort of recognition for the year he has had. Number two on my list was Kyle Lahren because how can you ignore the national team's top scorer in the calendar year and the current top scorer in World Cup qualifying? Very difficult to do. Nearly won the golden boot in in Turkey, ultimately missed out to Aaron Bupenza, but an amazing year for him to win a domestic double with Besiktas, a massive club. He's done well in the Champions League this year, despite the fact that Besiktas overall was absolutely terrible. 
that's why for me he gets second. And then Jonathan David is first because he's doing this in a top five league. I believe he now has 24 goals in the calendar year for Lille across all competitions. He played a massive role in them getting to the round of 16. On top of that, won the league earlier this year and then continues to do fairly well with the national team. I know it's not been as good recently, but he has still chipped in with the odd goal here and there. And I I do think the fact that he's doing it in one of the most marquee leagues in the world on top of the Champions League does put him at the top of my list for me. But it's all arbitrary, Thomas. And as we both said, you can really choose any of these three and you can make a more than rational argument. Yeah, you can. And you also have to decide, too, that the fans love goals and Davies doesn't score many of them because he plays at left back and and even in his club. Uh, environment. Even when he plays higher up the pitch, he usually doesn't score that many. He'll assist here and there, but again, people like goals, and, and that's exactly what Jonathan David and Kyle Leonard are doing. And, and, and even in your top three, Davies wasn't even a, a non-factor for you uh, in that regard. But speaking of these two players, Davies and David, yes, for the first time ever, two Canadian men will play in the Champions League knockout stages, getting through as both Bayern and Lille finished first place in their respective groups. The draw of the round of 16 was held today, Monday speaking. Had to be held twice, Peter, (laughs) because the first time a software error. Um, And Bayern will be facing FC Salzburg and Lille going up against Chelsea. The knockout stage will begin on February 15th. How significant is this accomplishment? I think the fact that you have two Canadian men not just getting to this stage of the Champions League, but playing key roles in doing so is what makes this accomplishment very significant. It's easy to, I, I think, get, maybe tired's not the right word, but but to almost get a little fatigued by the, the, the constant, you know, Davies and David accomplishments because they are generational players for Canada. Um And so the fact that they still are very young and the fact that they're still improving as players, which is crazy to think about, while still doing all these accomplishments, you kind of get lost in that a little bit. But no doubt about it, it's an amazing accomplishment. And it's mainly due to the fact that they played key roles doing it, Thomas. Like, let's start with Jonathan David. Lille domestically have not been very good this year, clearly. They're 11th place in the league. They're probably not going to finish in the European places. But they've made up for it in the Champions League by winning their group. Yes, it wasn't the best group, but it was a very balanced group. And they got the vital results in the last two matches to ensure that they got through as group winners and were seeded. Um, Jonathan David scoring some massive goals for them in the process. And, I mean, you, you just look at that game that he played against Wolfsburg in midweek last week. He didn't have the strongest first half. I felt like he was quite anonymous after... Leal opened the scoring so early in that game, they were just content to kind of sit back and pounce on the counter, but there was just no bite in those transitional moments. Second half, once I feel, especially when, when Angel Gomez came in, that was when you really saw the team kind of pick up the pace a little bit, play a little more direct, and then David was just picking apart the gaps between Wolfsburg's lines, making runs, you know, from the top of the box towards goal. And then he finished with three shots, 1.19 expected goals, obviously got one of the three goals for Lille in that match, set up a couple of pretty good chances on his own and got them through to the knockout stage. Like it was very, very good. And then for Davies, 
when you look at him two years ago under Flick, he was uh, like a man possessed. You could not stop him going forward. And you, you, you thought to yourself in the back of your head, yeah, this is really good what he's doing, but next year, can he keep it up? And safe to say he didn't. I think part of that has to do with the pandemic condensing last season from two seasons ago. Uh, Bayern's pressing numbers went down significantly, which played a major role in how they were able to release Davies into space. You're seeing those numbers come back up again. And plus, Julian Nagelsmann relies on fullbacks to provide creativity. And so now you're seeing Davies play not only as an auxiliary winger again, but he now has the license to drift inside and control the game that way. Similar to what he does for Canada. You're now seeing that translate into some really, really dominant performances week in and week out. To the point where you tune in to watch a Bayern Munich game and you know exactly what's going to happen when it comes to Alfonso Davies. So congratulations to them. Uh, it, it's amazing to see for Canadian soccer, and I really cannot wait to see what they do in the knockout stage. Um, you know, Lille's campaign might be over a little earlier than Bayern's, but regardless, um, tremendous achievement. And speaking of that achievement, uh, Davies and Bayern cruised through Barcelona 3-0 and had a 10-point difference from second place Benfica. For Lille, as you mentioned, different story, beating last place Wolfsburg 3-1 and was able to top the group at just one point with 11 over Red Bull Salzburg, who had 10. Now, the question has to be asked. You already kind of touched on it there. What are their chances either of them get through the quarterfinals? Ooh, well, look, Lille are going to be up against it against Chelsea. Um, defensively, they are very, very strong. Attacking-wise, I'm not the most convinced by them. They, they seem to really pick their moments in attack, and that's fine. Like, they have the defensive solidity to do that, but... Lille defensively has been far, far worse this year compared to last year. So for that reason, I think they're going to be up against it. That being said, if if David can have a moment or two to get at that Chelsea backline and takes the most of it, it's going to be David mania all of a sudden. Bayern should have very little issue getting through. I know Salzburg tend to play a little more on the front foot, but... Listen, man, you, you try to go toe-to-toe with Bayern, you're going to get burned every single time, pretty much, um, especially for a club like Salzburg. So they should be fine. They should get through to the quarterfinals. And, and Davies, much like he has thus far this season, will play a massive role. All right, uh, transitioning to some other uh, Canadians abroad chatter. Uh, dual national Marcelo Flores featured for the Mexico national team in a friendly against your native Chile, Thomas, in a 2-2 draw. He entered in the 83rd minute, replacing Uriel Antuna. Played about seven minutes plus stoppage time in the end. Some uh, Mexico fans and media were a little upset by that. Now, he would be required to file his one-time switch should he want to play for Canada. But what were your uh, initial impressions of of what happened against Chile and then uh, the situation as we look ahead to January here, where Flores could end up featuring in the Canada camp? Well, it's tough to really judge from just 10 minutes, um, especially since both Chile and Mexico didn't bring their best sides. Right. Um, I'd even go as far as saying this was not even a B team for either teams, was more of a C team. But here's the thing. I said this last week, and I was even surprised he even got a senior club to begin with. I am not surprised at all by how many minutes he was given. I thought that he would probably be featured. Uh, just because of, obviously, the reaction, if he wasn't, would be just huge. And why not uh, have him, you know, from Mexico's point of view, 
But again, Tata Martino touched on his press conference. He told the Mexican media, as they like to do from time to time, Peter, you know, <laughs> hype players up a lot. And, and, and look, they have to, he said he's 18 years of age and yeah. he has to grow into his body and he has to get a move somewhere else sooner rather than later because someone like his age, like Jebison, is already playing professional. You know, to use that comparison, he has to get, you know, on the ball with first team football. Uh, now, given all of that said, yes, because now that he, he has played a friendly with Mexico, he has to uh, file his one-time switch, as, you know, the notes said. But at the same time here, he's not closing the door on coming into camp, as, as he's commented before. So the door is still there. People need to just relax a little bit. It's not like the guy is capped out. And I definitely don't expect for him to be called up to World Cup qualifying for Mexico. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's my thoughts. I really don't think that it impacts his chances of, like I said, being cap tied too much. But at the same time, I do know that Mexico has the upper hand. and But I still would be surprised to not see him at a Canada camp since he already said that he would. Yeah, very true. But for me, even if he had started the game, it wouldn't have made a major difference for me because at the end of the day, he was always going to make his decision after playing in a, in a Canada camp, whether that's for the friendly or even if it's just a training stint, who knows? I still feel like he's kind of leaning Mexico, but there's part of me that's still also thinking, I wonder if the last week or two has maybe changed his mind just when he sees all the hoopla and, and, and maybe the, the, the depth in front of him. And then he looks at Canada and says, you know what, maybe there's a, a spot for me to, to kind of slide in there. But like you said, and like I've said many, many times before, he has to start playing professionally. He's at the age where he has to make that next step and play against grown men every week so we can see just how well or how much really he develops. Okay, moving on to some transfer rumors here. Uh, Team Talk in the UK are reporting that Brighton are interested in Kyle Laren and Daniel Jebison. Uh, now, Team Talk isn't the most reliable source, Thomas, but uh, do you think either of these uh, players would be basically a good fit for Brighton and vice versa? For Jebison, I still think that his best course of action is probably to go back to Sheffield in January, coming up here. Uh, and for Laren, I think Brighton would be a solid option. You know, a mid-table club, um, their top scorer, you know, has been good, but again, inconsistent. So in terms of that, I think they could really do it there. But at the same time, Brian are also interested in my countryman, uh, Ben Brereton. So again, he is just, as we've touched on many times, Peter, when you look at a, a club looking for a position, and you can, and you can attest to this because you're a scout. Yeah. When, when a club looks at a player at a certain position, they have four, five, even six options. So, again, nothing is certain, but definitely, as we've touched on many times before, Laren, definitely a top five move is given, but more, more likely the French league is, is more so a ceiling. Yeah, and, and I completely agree with you on that, uh, really on both, especially the Laren point. I, the, the Premier League, for me, would be a bit too far of a step for him to take, I think. But if he were to go to... Liga, even if he were to maybe go to a you know lower mid-table to mid-table side in La Liga, I think he could maybe do all right, but I, th I think France would be the ideal landing spot for him, and that's fine. That's a very good ceiling to have. 
as a, as a player, that's for sure. Junior Hoylett was back on the bench for Reading. Uh, he was subbed on and played the final 22 minutes against West Brom in the championship this past weekend. Uh, he hasn't played since he suffered an injury while training with Canada in the October window, Thomas. So uh, how good is this news for the national team, given how key of a player he was before that injury happened? Yeah, this is excellent. Uh, absolutely indispensable uh, before, you know, he got injured and, and didn't feature for Canada. And I was a bit worried, to be honest with you, just because it had been such a while uh, since he saw the pitch. So maybe we, we saw him kind of maybe thinking that the injury was very serious. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it, it's amazing to see him back, back on the pitch. Agreed. Here, here. Uh, Scott Arfield spoke to Sky Sports Scotland and he reiterated to them that he is up for selection and wants to get back into the Canada side. When asked about playing at a World Cup, he said, quote, that's what you play for, end quote. Uh, he mentioned his representatives will speak to Rangers about a contract renewal as well, since his deal expires uh, in May of 2022, I believe it is. Uh, he finally touched on the January window which there isn't one for UEFA, meaning he would actually have to miss club games if he were to get called up by the national team. Uh, he hinted that something both John Herdman and Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, the Rangers manager, will have to work out together. Now, Arfield also went 90 minutes in a 2-0 win against Hearts on Sunday. Looked very, very good, by the way. Could have had two goals if not for some wasteful finishing. Um, playing time for him continues to ramp up, which is obviously good news. But Thomas, just very quickly here, uh, do you expect to see our field in January or do you think that it's just going to be too much of a headache with the club versus country logistics weighing in here? Well, yeah, I mean, he has a contract that he has to take care of, which he'll have to look at pretty shortly. Everyone talks about what happened in the past. Why would we take our field back? He's, you know getting older and you know maybe not someone that can contribute look if he can help us in any way shape or form i would have him back and i think he opens up a whole can of worms now that i i mean yeah i mean there is no fifa winner for uefa so what does that mean for the rest of the european players there's something that's you know will be important to think about. That is very true, especially given how massive these qualifiers are, because Canada can almost, like, sniff Qatar, but they're not quite there yet. This window will probably end up determining whether they're going to go automatically or not. So, yeah, this is going to be interesting to watch. Elsewhere, in the Swiss Super League, Liam Miller scored the equalizing goal for Basel, which helped them get a 2-2 draw against Servette in Geneva. Um, in Norway, centre-back Julian Dunn has signed with Hamcam, just recently promoted to the Norwegian top flight. Uh, Theo Bear spent uh, his loan spell from the Vancouver Whitecaps there to help them get promotion. Um, Dunn was out of contract with TFC, so he was able to complete this move. Um, is Dunn, do you think, closer to the national team if he can lock down regular minutes at that level, Thomas? Yeah, great to see him. You know, he's one of a couple already uh, that are, you know, going to Europe from that TFC young squad. And he just signed uh, also for Alfonso Davies' uh, agency. Uh, so, again, I think opens up a whole new list of contacts as well. And I would say that if he's playing regularly in Norway, week in, week out, I definitely do think he's hits that um, depth chart, uh, more so competing with uh, Joe Waterman for that fifth or sixth spot. Which is more than fine. I think he has the potential to do that, but he has to play. So it is a good news in that regard that he is 
earning that stint. Interested to see how he does. The season in Norway does start in, I believe, three months' time, so very, very soon, actually. Jaden Nelson, meanwhile, another TFC player, he's trialing with Anderlecht and apparently impressed while he was there. So we'll see if he is able to maybe get a spot in Belgium, yet another Canadian possibly going over there. That would be quite something, especially for Nelson to do it. Meanwhile, Jaquiel Marshall-Ruddy is currently in the UK training with Arsenal's U18 squad as he tries to find a landing spot for him in Europe ahead of his 18th birthday. Moving over to some news and notes to close out the show. Alfonso Davies and Ashley Lawrence were named to the IIHFS World Best 11 for the men's and women's teams, respectively. Congratulations to both of them. Very well deserved. Uh, the Lou Marsh Award winner given to Canada's Best Athlete was revealed. Gold medal winning decathlete Damian Warner won it. Uh, Alfonso Davies, Kyle Lahren, Christine Sinclair and Stephanie Labbe were all candidates for the award. Canada Soccer is seeking a general secretary following the departure of Peter Montopoli to the 2026 World Cup Committee. Uh, President Nick Bontis has openly left a link for anybody to apply. Uh, the new general secretary would be working closely with the president, the vice president, and the board of directors in consultation with its members and key stakeholders. Uh, Thomas, your, your thoughts on this development? Yeah, whoever comes in has to be in line with whatever the current uh, group um, has in stake. I'll be honest with you, I'm surprised that these kind of drops, however high level they are, are, are public. Uh, we'll see who, who fills that soon. I think they have to make a decision by February, so yeah. Tickets to uh, the Canada-USA World Cup qualifier on January 30th in Hamilton are going to go on sale this Friday. So snap up your tickets when they do become available. That should be quite the night, especially if you watch the Grey Cup and all the wind that just howled through that stadium. That should be a really interesting match in that regard. According to MLS reporter Will Forbes, Toronto FC have made a record-breaking offer to Italian international Lorenzo Insigne. Uh, would this be a good move for Toronto FC if they can get it over the line? And what does that mean for Jefferson Soteldo's future as well? Insigne, 30 years old, still a key contributor for the Italian men's national team. And Napoli probably has three to four years of high level uh, in him. I think it's a great move. And you can kind of see that Bob Bradley sort of setting the tone early as he wants to bring, you know, kind of that TFC dynasty that they had in 2016, 2017. By bringing in yet another Italian star, and speaking of which, Sebastian Jovinko gave an interview to the Toronto Star saying he wants to come back to the club. Uh, is this serious, or do you think it's just a PR tactic? Oh my goodness, this interview was incredible. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I just laughed at the whole thing. You know, he says that, you know, people who didn't watch his games in Saudi League, he, he still, like he says... He, he can see himself coming back to MLS as a DP, but he'll only come in as a time player only for his love for TFC. I, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I kind of agree. I, I think it really is all just smoke. And, you know, they do say where there's smoke, there's fire, but I, I just don't think there's really any fire here with this. MLS Next Pro announced the 21 clubs that will compete in the new professional league's new season. Uh, CF Montreal is the only Canadian club to opt out they released a statement saying they are in advanced conversations with PLSQ so their reserve team can play there and that they'll be monitoring MLS Next Pro to evaluate its development as it starts up. Speaking of Montreal, the draw for the 2022 CONCACAF Champions League will be held 
on Wednesday in Miami. Forge and Montreal are both in different pots. Uh, possible opponents for Montreal are as follows. Santos Laguna, Santos de Huapiles, who Forge ironically beat in the CONCACAF League, Motawa, who obviously eliminated Forge, Saprisa, uh, Cavala AS, Comunicaciones, and Huastatoya as well. Uh, possible opponents for Forge are Cruz Azul, Club León, Pumas, Colorado Rapids, the New England Revolution, and Seattle Sounders. Um, would there be a preferred rival for either of these sides, Thomas? For Forge, not really. Uh, just because, obviously, I would say, yes, I think Mexico, going down to Mexico is much harder than the U.S., given the conditions and whatnot. But for Montreal, it's really a toss-up. They have a lot of Champions League experience. Yeah, I agree with you as well. Really, the only team that Montreal should avoid is, I guess, Santos Laguna. And then otherwise, I think they're pretty much okay with anybody else. Nashville SC exercised their option on Alistair Johnston. Really a no-brainer there, especially as he gets European interest. I'm sure they're going to want to get something for him if and when he is moved abroad. Uh, The 26th MLS Cup Final between the Portland Timbers and New York City FC happened with NYCFC being crowned champions after a 1-1 tie and winning 4-2 in a penalty shootout thanks to my countryman, uh, Alexander Callens, Canadian referee Oscar Mitchell Carvalho was part of the crew for that one. The full MLS regular season schedule will be released this coming Wednesday, December the 15th, uh, just in time for my birthday, Thomas. The CPL Fan Awards named nominees for the best goal, assist, save, as well as team of the year. We will share the results when they're public. The CPL 50 for the best players has been counting down as well. CPL Golden Boot winner Joao Morelli extended his contract for two more years with HFX Wanderers until 2023. Good bit of business for them. York United President Angus McNabb spoke on 690 Saga FM radio saying they've received over 30 coaching applicants, but that's been narrowed down to five domestic and five overseas candidates. He also mentioned the reason why Brennan was let go had to do with sustained success, as well as confirming uh, Jordan Wilson and Chris Novick Ensa have had their contract options exercised. CONCACAF President Victor Montaliani gave an interview with ESPN about the region's input on the Biennial World Cup plan. He also told Reuters about a week or two ago that a global Nations League could be an alternative to it. Um, Didn't necessarily shut it down, but also said that uh, it may not be the best idea. And finally, uh, WPSL Canada released a video which included Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, Montreal, with the slogan, we're coming, we're answering the call for a Canadian Women's League, get ready Canada. They also released a statement. Uh, Some of the biggest takeaways from that press release were, uh, it will be a sanctioned league which will begin as a second division, with a plan to establish a professional league within two to five years. Uh, It won't be another conference of the WPSL in the U.S., This will be its own different entity. The league will have two conferences, Canada West and Canada East, followed by a conference playoff and a national championship. There is no timeline included for the inaugural season. Canadian women's national team players actually gave their thoughts on this. Stephanie Labbe criticized the decision, saying this is not what Canada needs. How do we see this, Thomas, seeing that it is technically semi-professional, but not quite a fully-fledged professional league like some have called for? Yeah, it's a summer league. Only you know happens two months of the year, and look, I understand. I, I understand the criticism, but at the same time, you have to think it's it's like PDL, right? Like the old USL. 
uh, like the current USLPDL. So it's more places for Canadian uh, players, especially university players, to play. Um, and there isn't really that many clubs in Canada that offer that for uh, U sports players. So I think it's a positive, but at the same time, I, I understand that you know you kind of need that professional step, which yeah. needs a little more proof in the next couple of years. You do, and you also need investors, which is really the key part in all of this. Um, Jesse Fleming was named Player of the Month for November in the WSL, well-deserved for her. Canada Soccer will hold a 10-day women's U17 and U20 camp in preparation for the CONCACAF championships in Mexico. Uh, the under-17s will actually face Mexico. Uh, the roster was compiled of players from the REX program nationally. Finally, uh, League One BC has announced its first general manager, that is Sean Bagshaw, who actually coached me in my younger years. She was my goalkeeper coach, so that's kind of nice to see Sean taking over there. And I uh, cannot wait to see League One BC finally get underway. Yes, and uh, Peter, celebrate your 27th in peace as uh, you shall. And uh, guys, uh, stay tuned because um, we could have uh, a roundtable year interview panel for the holidays, a special episode that we're working on for you guys. Indeed, just to give our thanks for this holiday season. So for Thomas Neff, I am Peter Galindo. Thank you for listening. We will be back with you next week. <laughs>